Nights to you folks. This week's episode is Courtney McLean. She's a friend of mine that I met in Minneapolis. We, I happen to be visiting in sunny Los Angeles, California, and so we caught up and shot the shit about um, psychopaths and sociopaths and depression, anxiety, and dealing with medication and all that sort of thing, and what's like being um, not a straight white dude in the world of comedy. And she has some interesting thoughts on that. Also, if you happen to like this program and think that um, you'd like to hear my voice more, I do two other podcasts. They play for ads, play for them at the end of the program, but they're Elevator Pitch, which is improv comedy, and then Blank History Month, which is a historical and comedic podcast. Also, in more news of me, I'm publishing a book of short stories and poems. It's called It Had to Be Said, and it'll be coming out at least by... March 17th, I'll get an exact date, and so follow me on either Twitter or Facebook for updates on that, if you'd like to know about that. Um, also, on the topic of of all this stuff, and I, we, we kind of talk about it a little bit at the end there, um, people with personality disorders have personality disorders. They're not morally reprehensible necessarily. So they're all coping, they're all dealing with it, and like I say in the program, as long as they acknowledge bad behavior and try and fix it, then then they're good people, I would say. Just because you have a, a less empathy than a lot of people doesn't automatically make you bad. Um, though, I will say, Courtney talks a lot about them, and she has, she has had a very bad experience with a lot of people with um, psychopathy or... or whatever you want to call it, um, with personality disorders. So I understand fully her reluctance to like them because once you have enough experience with any group, you try, you tend to paint them all with the same brush. I know as a server, that's true. Um, but yeah, uh, enjoy the show. Um, she's really funny. She's wonderful. Go look up Courtney McLean. Do it. She's really funny. She, she plays the banjo really well. Okay, let's get this fucking thing started. you doing today um right now i am pretty great yeah yeah i'm great i Good. feel like i don't have to be anywhere for a few hours so yeah. i feel like i can settle down like i've had a crazy kind of uh past maybe four or five hours of my life um mm-hmm. so but right now at this moment I feel pretty good. Good, I'm glad. Thank you. <laughs> yep. You are welcome. Short answer. Great. Yep. <laughs> um so uh you are from California, but I met you when you were living in Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. Why did you go out to Minneapolis originally? 
What were you thinking? Well, um, when I decided to move to Minneapolis, I was actually living in New York City. And mm. I had been living there. Uh, I lived in New York a total of a little over five years. And I had been living there for about four years when I uh, took my took a solo show I did to a couple of fringe festivals. All right. On. And one of them was the Minnesota Fringe Festival. And mm-hmm. I really liked it there, but I was like, I'm not, I've heard about the winters. And I mean, I was already in New York winters, which was like way yeah. more than I was used to. You know, it was like, snow, <laughs> what's that? You know, and um, so... But then I, I ended up meeting somebody and uh, and he we ended up like I ended up deciding to move out there for him, um, and now I think he's a psychopath. But whatever, uh-huh. it's cool anyway. Um, <laughs> so that's how I ended up in Minnesota. But I always say like if he was living in Missoula, Montana, yeah. or like Iowa City, I would not have gone out to a city that small. Uh-huh. I knew that Minnesota or Minneapolis's culture was banging, and so I was like, yeah, I'll go out there. Right on. I will demote myself from New York City. To Minneapolis, mm. worth it, worth every. I was there for eight years, yeah, and we broke up six months into it. Oh, okay, yeah. So you you switched your love for him for the love of the city, so it all worked out. Yeah, yeah. I guess so. Yeah. I don't know. Whatever. I took yep. my love back and gave it to myself. <laughs> An excellent choice. I yeah, think. yeah, yeah. Um, so was your one woman? Were you still? Were you doing stuff for the banjo then, or were you doing like what was that was pre banjo? Pre banjo. That was pre banjo. I PB. I did. Um, I did a show in uh, in two thousand two before I moved to New York called uh-huh. Normalcy, which was a it was an hour long one woman show, and I took that to the Minnesota Fringe Festival yeah. and to the inaugural Capital Fringe Festival, which All is right in on. DC. Um, and what is that about, the normalcy? Normalcy is, it's about growing up in Orange County, California. Oh, right on. Which is like, which is like, robots, suburbia. It's, <laughs> my friend Liz called it uh, an entire county of suburbs of Los Angeles. Uh-huh. And so, and I grew up in uh, Yorba Linda, which was, which now is the area that the OC, reg- I told you this in our, in the messaging, the OC register, our mm-hmm. like hometown paper, yeah. calls that area Trump land. Uh-huh. It's extremely. It's like little red state in, <laughs> in Southern California. I mean, aside from, um, well, I mean, there's other, there's plenty of red areas in yeah. California. But anyway, um, so, so that's where I grew up. What was I saying? What oh, normalcy. It's just <laughs> normalcy. Yeah. So normalcy. I've always been a weird kid. Yeah. And I felt like growing up in in our suburban neighborhood that we were the weird family. Mm-hmm. And now I'm kind of discovering that that might be that my dad might be a psychopath or uh-huh. at least have psychopathic traits. I mean, mm-hmm. a lot of us have psychopathic traits, but I think he has a cluster of more of them okay. than, you know, because like... I can be glib and superficially charming. Yes. Or also I can have p- poor behavioral controls, but mm-hmm. like, you know, it's like... I have a lower. What well, anyway? These I, I like. I told you I've been studying this yeah. shit. So, go on. Um, fine. so I mean, I'll get. I'll come back to it. But that's what normalcy is about. And okay. so I took that. Uh, I did that in two thousand two, and went to New York City. And then I in New York City, I was like, oh, how am I gonna write my own shit and get it on stage right away? Stand up comedy. So I did yeah. stand up comedy. 
for about three and a half, four years. And in 2006, I asked for a banjo for Christmas just because I wanted to play an instrument. Mm And, and, well, I mean, I had played guitar and piano earlier in life, but, so anyway, so that's when I picked up the banjo, and I didn't decide to do what is, what I'm currently doing now, mm-hmm. comedy, dirty comedy music, until 2009. Okay. And how did that come about? Were you just, like, strumming it on a banjo, and was like, hey, what if I say dick jokes? Yeah, I, yeah, <laughs> it was, it was kind of, like, out of the blue. I was just like, I want a comedy erotica bluegrass band. <laughs> I'm like, that's why. Oh, yes, that old hat. Right, yeah, right? I was like, I just, they were just three things. I've always, you know, I mean, I feel like I'm a naturally funny person. Uh-huh. And, uh, and both my parents are, my parents are both, have their things, you know, but they are both funny people when they want to be. Yes. My mom, I think, is just really naturally, like, empathetically funny. And then my dad is, like I said, I'm not sure where he lies on the psychopath scale. Uh And I think it's a little higher than normal. And I think that he can turn it on when he wants to. But Mm -hmm. he's so burnt out now just (laughs) because he's in his late 60s. So he's like, I think he really does have psychopath burnout. And he's just like, can't. He can't keep up the charade anymore. And he's just an a-hole. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) So. Doesn't give a shit. Yeah, he yeah. he doesn't seem to give a shit. I mean, yeah. sometimes he does. I don't know. Uh, it's actually like, yeah. yeah. So I'll get back to it. Yeah, I feel worries. like yeah, I feel like we need more build up before okay. I, before I bomb our listeners with what's been going on presently. Right, right on. Um, and so you started building. Uh, the comedy bluegrass thing in Minneapolis, right? Yep. And yeah. did they follow you out here, or no? Or so you're just doing it by yourself? Now I do it what? by myself now, um, uh-huh. and uh, and I am starting to very, very, very gradually because I am so shitty with money. Yes. Um, because pot is so cheap here, and you can get it so easily. <laughs> I can't. I mean, I'm. I'm I think my mom suspects this, but it's just like I. I'm horrible with my money, and a lot of it I spend on pot. Yeah, don't spend it on barely anything else except also gas. Yeah, because I'm constant because I live with my parents, so I'm not spending money on rent. Nice. So, I'm, but I'm driving back and forth from Los Angeles to Orange County all the time, yeah. and it's like fifty miles. It's a hundred miles round trip sometimes. Yeah, yeah. That ain't great. So, it's insane. Um, but you know, whatever. I love it. Mm-hmm. Um. I like having a wide radius of life. Yeah. Like, I like I like being able to be like, yeah, I can go there. You know, sometimes people are like, oh, my God, I have to travel 30 minutes mm-hmm. across town. And I'm like, <laughs> what? Count me in. Yeah. I'm, I'm literally, I was just over in Venice doing this gig. I came over here. Yeah. Uh, and then I'm going up to North Hollywood for a show tonight. And then I'm going back to Culver City to Nanny. Mm-hmm. And then wow. I'm spending the night there, and then I'm going to LAX in the morning to go to San Francisco <laughs> tomorrow morning. Yeah, I'm I'm going, you know. But I love that. Yeah. It's, it's how I, and and it's not how I always live my life. Yeah. It's just this past 24 hours. Well, thank you for making time for me. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, um, no problem. So you were saying um, the reason you haven't assembled like a band is because you're like you have to figure out funds for it. Or? Oh yeah, no, I just um, no, I don't. I don't necessarily want to assemble a band out here. Okay. I think what I need to do is, um, well, and also I might be in San Francisco, so I'm not exactly sure what is happening with my life right now. And that makes sense. But 
uh, were I to stay down here, and but also I will be doing this in San Francisco too. Basically, I just need to buy mm-hmm. a second microphone that I can have a vocal mm-hmm. manipulator on. Yeah. And then I would also like to ha- uh, amass some pedals and investigate how to do this with a banjo. Mm-hmm. But amass some pedals where I can get different sound effects. Mm-hmm. And I do have a looping pedal so far, but that's nothing that I... I just haven't mm-hmm. like experimented with this shit yet. Yeah. Um, life gets in the way, yep. you know? Uh, so it's like... And also it's like, with my craft, I want to get out there and do open mics to see where laugh lines are but also because it's music i can kind of figure that out yeah and it's not like uh you know it's not like i can change timing i mean i can sometimes yeah and i have learned that like where i have to like stop and make a space for laughter in Mm -hmm. some songs and like some songs you know as they are on the album it's like they'll go fast and they'll have like a definite like like timing but then in live performance, I have to slow things down or stop something to let mm-hmm. the audience know, yep, you can laugh at this right now. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, so yeah, so that's something that I discovered through open mics, but then mm-hmm. it's also like, uh, I've been working on my demo for the next album recently, and oh, awesome. anyway, these are just all why I haven't got these things together. Yeah. <laughs> these Which is together for these things. <laughs> so I think that what I, what I will do is I will be building it as uh, uh, as a solo thing. Oh, right on. And then uh, when it gets to the point where I am playing a bigger venue, mm-hmm. I can either invite those guys back mm-hmm. or just rent musicians or like, you know, or get a band here. So, yes. yeah, it just hasn't been, uh, hasn't been much of a focus of mine because, because maybe of mental illness and actually I think <laughs> I went through a thing with my medication this year. So oh, yeah? That's, yeah, that's totally something we could talk about here. Yeah, go for it. Go for it. Yeah, what the so, hell happened, Courtney? I, what the hell happened? <laughs> what the hell happened? Where have you been? Um, <clears throat> October 2015 is when I moved back to California. Mm-hmm. And I knew because of an incident that happened two years earlier that I wanted to come off Paxil. Which I've been I've been on Paxil twenty milligrams since June of two thousand twelve. And what does that do? That is a, an SSRI. It is an antidepressant slash anti anxiety right. pill. And uh, I twenty milligrams I guess is a is sort of a middle grade yeah. dosage. I don't know. Um, I have a friend who was on a hundred at one point, and so. Uh, and so I got put on that because I, because of a, this is the dumbest thing. Okay. <laughs> this is how, this is how, you know, it's kind of like, where does the medical industry fall as far as morals and like, you know, how much they know about pharmaceuticals and blah, blah, blah. Because basically what happened was I had to go to the doctor and get a doctor's note uh-huh. because my boss at the University of Minnesota did not believe me that I needed to take one day off per month, one sick day that I had earned per month for my period. Because, <sighs> because, and now I'm not going to lie, I was milking it. <laughs> I never because I never get I never get sick. I yeah. I jokingly offensively say I have the opposite of AIDS. And because I have an immune system of steel. Like when it's I It's called lupus, but okay. It's called lupus? <laughs> what? Yeah. Well, autoimmune disease are an overactive um 
immune system. But oh, anyway, really? Yeah, that's what that is. Oh, shit. I <laughs> hope that doesn't become... I mean, I get sick, but just like for a day. No, no, I, d- I didn't mean to add any paranoia to you. You're not. Oh, you yeah, know. no. I'm if not you had lupus, you would definitely know. Oh, okay. Yeah. Is that where my body parts fall off? I'm just kidding. That's leprosy. <laughs> I know, I know. Um, so, anyway. Yep. <laughs> so, I'm... The sick day for the period. Oh, yeah. So, my boss was like... And he consulted some other women who... Are, we're older than me, you know? It's yeah. like, I don't know, I feel like this new generation, that's a little more acceptable. Mm-hmm. And, or, you know, even though I'm Gen X, but even, like, with the millennials, I feel like that's something that people could do. Oh, for sure. But maybe not, you know? It's like, because then you have a lot of women who are taking <laughs> 12 days off a year, which is a big thing. Anyway, my point is... I don't know. I would argue that 12 days out of 365 ain't that much. Isn't that much? Yeah, it's oh, like okay. two weeks. Oh, no. Yeah, Not two weeks even. of sickness, yeah. though? Oh, no. Yeah? yeah? Is that normal? I have no idea, because I have the immune system of steel. That's so fair. I don't know what normal people do, you know? It's like, mm-hmm. so anyway. So he didn't believe me, and I had to go get a doctor's note. So I'm uh-huh. in the... I'm in the office talking to the doctor, and she says something like, well, if I took a day off a month, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, bitch, I'm an executive assistant. You're a fucking doctor. (laughs) Yes. Like, yeah, that's why you get paid the big bucks. (laughs) Absolutely. I'm getting 16 bucks an hour for sitting at a desk, and Mm -hmm. now granted, I did like that job, but, Mm -hmm. but at the time, it was driving me crazy, which was part of the reason why I was in there. And so anyway, fast forward to her deciding that, oh, because I said something about... I don't want to be in the office because uh, I want to kill people. I want to kill myself when I'm on birth control. She was like, why don't we get on birth control that you don't have such bad cramps because I have an IUD. And she's like, and I'm like, no, because that makes me want to kill myself. Yeah. That's what it was. And uh, she's like, well, it sounds like you need to be on an antidepressant. I'm like, yeah, sure. I would love to because I was actually at a point and one of my friends had said, you know, Courtney, without, with just like diet and exercise, you have this much wiggle room. It was like inch between her fingers. Mm-hmm. And she's like, with pills, you have this much wiggle room, like a foot between her fingers, you know? Yeah. And I'm like, ah, I need a break. I needed a break. Yeah. Because, uh, so I have been diagnosed with mild depression with suicidal ideation. Yes. So, and apparently I have anxiety as well. Whatever the case, I went to another doctor. She prescribed general physician prescribed me. The, yeah, exactly. Yeah, like I Tristan, made a face. Tristan made a face. He made a face of like, nah, yeah, you know? right. <laughs> because general physicians don't they? You know, they know so much that they can't know a lot about that stuff. You know, mm-hmm. so it's like something gets put into their face, and they're like, oh, this is what you have. And Paxil seems to be one of the ones that is like the one that sticks. Yeah. And it stuck for me right away. Within two weeks, I felt normal. Yeah. I, I was like, whoa. I, yeah, I was like, oh my God, I haven't felt this way in a long time. Like, not thinking about death a lot. And um, and I don't know at that particular time, in 2012. Yeah, see, the thing was, I had been at this job for four and a half years. It was a desk mm-hmm. job. If you know me, obviously, I have a lot of energy. I am yeah. a very verbose person. And there's only so much time I can sit at a desk. And I yeah. think that my time had just, it, it had broken. And before I actually got on the medicine, I, um, I had a breakdown at my work. Yeah? Yeah, where I, uh, like, I, like, hung up on one of my, like, a lady in the financial department. And I, and I said, like, 
fuck you or something mm-hmm. like that. Like loud enough that one of my coworkers heard it. And uh-huh. he sent me an email that was like, that sort of language is a cancer in this small office. Like six people in the office. Yeah. He's totally not wrong. I could not mentally handle that. And uh-huh. I just, I like was like, I'm out of here. And yeah. I left for the day, sent my boss and the human resources lady uh, an email. And um, and then I was gone for five days. And this was a Thursday. So it was like Thursday, Friday. No, it was a Friday. Thursday, Friday. Anyway, Thursday, Friday, Monday, and then Saturday, Sunday, Monday. I might have taken six days. Anyway, whatever. Mm-hmm. I took some days, and Lori, the human resources lady, I guess that's not her real name. Um, anyway, no. <laughs> <laughs> we'll she, call her Lori. Right, yeah. <laughs> she was super, super supportive of it, and, and so was Craig. And actually, what happened was, oh, my God. Someone was watching my Twitter account, and I think I know who it was. Uh-huh. But anyway, this person was watching my Twitter account, and I posted something about, I'm a cut a bureaucratic bitch. That, <laughs> that morning, that Thursday morning. And I was like, and it's only Thursday. Oh, no, I was like, it's only 9.15. Happy Thursday, cunt whores. <laughs> and I posted that on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And apparently, somebody anonymously called the Office for Internet Compliance at yeah. the University of Minnesota. Uh-huh. And then, and told them about it. And so then, someone also called the cops. And the cops came in, like, the following Tuesday. This was when Virginia, the thing at Virginia State had just oh, happened. Oh, okay. So they were taking mm-hmm. my my stupid fucking joke. Yep. As serious, uh-huh. which they don't know me. Yeah. And some asshole called the, and I fucking know who it was mm-hmm. because he always would post on Facebook about if you're going to post about your job mm-hmm. on Twitter, you better be prepared to get fired. Uh-huh. Anyway, this a hole, that's <laughs> what I think happened. And also, it was somebody who I had told, um, I had told them a little bit of my mental health history yeah. about how I went. I admitted myself for like two hours into this hospital in New York. Uh-huh. I was there. I'm telling you guys all this stuff. So just to let you know, psychopaths that are out there, <laughs> I am super out there with this stuff and I'm prepared mm. to tell anybody about it. I know sure. mental illness is not like a readily accepted thing, but it's just like my brothers and sisters I gotta tell you this is what's happening absolutely so anyway I admitted myself to this thing for a few hours and I was telling the guy that uh, I was having the the doctor man the doctor man I was telling him how much I hated men and I was Uh like I hate men I fucking Mm -hmm. hate them Mm -hmm. I don't know what my thing is I hate them Mm -hmm. and um and now I'm learning it's because I grew up with a very manipulative childish father yes any hooters Back to, you know, so the person that called on me knew this information about me. And so, um, and so the cops came and I was not there and my boss had to talk them down and because and, my boss read the tweet and, and he laughed. He knew. <laughs> my boss fucking knew me. God bless him. You know, he, uh-huh. he was, he was my, I called him my black dad. Uh-huh. He was my, he was the Jack Donaghy to my Liz Lemon. 
Excellent. But throw, you know, he was he was a black man, and so throw a little. I was hoping. We were, yeah, right. And we were, um, and I, you know, anyway, whatever. Um, we were working for the office for business and I shouldn't even tell. I'm just not even going to talk about it. Okay. I've already said it's the University of Minnesota. Yeah. There you go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, and so that this could sound that relates to the medication switch. How? Okay, thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for bringing me back. You're okay. So it happened in June 2012. I ended up starting to look for another job because yeah. I was like, I can't do this. And I got a job at a place in downtown St. Paul, which is also a, like a rock venue. Big, uh-huh. like two bars, uh, restaurant, bar, rock venue. And I got the job there. And I really didn't think I was going to. Mm-hmm. And I ended up getting fired uh, two and a half years later or a year and a half later or something like that. Mm-hmm. And um, <laughs> because I switched up my medication and it affected my attitude. Uh-huh. Honey Hooters. It's very interesting mm-hmm. how this has happened in my life. Uh, twice now, actually. Yeah. And the other time was this past year. But anyway, back to June 2012. So I didn't know, was, the, was my immediate switch on the Paxil to feeling good because of the medicine? Mm-hmm. Or was it because of the medicine in conjunction with my change in lifestyle? Because yeah. now instead of being a 9 to 5, Monday through Friday desk person, mm-hmm. I was a Friday, Saturday night waitress yep. at a rock venue. Yeah. Which is way more my speed. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, talking to more people. I get to do little shots here and there until mm-hmm. I do too many shots and then I get fired for, <laughs> you know, mouthing off. Um, mm-hmm. But also because I, you know, I was on this medicine now and you're not supposed to drink on it too. So it's like that was affecting it as well. Yes. It was really dumb. It was dumb. But you know what? It was the slap in the face that I needed mm-hmm. at that time in my life. Yeah. So. And then I ended up working at Pizzeria Lola, which I do mention by name because it was one of my favorite places to work. So there you go. Anyway, that leads us to October 2013 when I skipped three days of my my medication. Oh, no. Yeah, just because I was lazy and didn't pick up my (laughs) prescription. And uh, and then it took me about a whole, like a month Mm -hmm. to get back on track yeah and then that kind of made me think like i don't want to fucking be on this shit anymore all right like i i need to figure out a time when i can wean myself off of it Mm -hmm. and you're checking the time you can tell me to wrap up i'm not okay i'm checking the audio levels oh okay cool all right awesome um so (laughs) so i was like i don't know how what if i can't get my prescription for some reason what if a fascist regime gets into the government <laughs> and then for some reason they cut off my health care uh-huh. and I can't fucking get this uh, pill uh-huh. that is really fucking important for me to take every day or yep. else my head goes into spins and I could fucking kill myself. Yes. So when I moved here in Cal- to California yeah. uh, when Barack Obama was still our president, <laughs> this was not... Like an immediate issue, yeah. but I still decide I'm going to wean myself off this shit. Mm-hmm. Just in case. You never know. Just in case. You never know. You mm-hmm. never know. So, January, fast forward to January, fast forward to January 2016, mm-hmm. about a little over a year ago, um, I talked to a good friend of mine, one of my best friends, who put in my IUD. She's a doctor. Uh, good. Jordan. Glad that last yes, part of that right. sentence. <laughs> 
And she was switching around, right? She's my doctor. She put in my IUD. Right, totally. So, so anyway, we, um, so she, I ta- was talking to her mm-hmm. and uh, I think I got health insurance by that time, but I don't know. She was just readily available and she was like, yes, I can prescribe. This isn't like Adderall or anything. I yeah. can prescribe this to you without having a consultation or anything like that. Right on. So great. So she, she prescribed it to me. Um, and then also I talked to her about coming off of it. Because I had tried, uh, back when I got fired from that one job, um, I had tried going from 20 milligrams to 10 milligrams. Yeah. Not really doing much research on it. But my general physician at the time prescribed that to me. She was like, yeah, we can step you down to 10 milligrams. And she did. And I don't know what your listeners know about Paxil, but I didn't know this either. You're actually, and I didn't learn this either for this for this latest time of stepping it down. You're mm-hmm. supposed to step it down 10% at a time. Ah. So 20 milligrams to 18 milligrams mm-hmm. to 16.2 milligrams. Yeah. Then to 14.6 milligrams. You know, it's just like most ridiculous fractional pieces where I literally, next time I'm stepping it down, I need to get a mortar and pestle to like <laughs> grind the pills down because like... I mean, and I guess I can get liquid Paxil, but the last doctor I went to said he couldn't prescribe that to me. Again, a general physician. I had not gone to see a psychiatrist. Um, So anyway, January 16, uh, and this general physician who told me he couldn't prescribe me liquid Paxil, I saw in like May of 2016. But anyway, January 2016, I decided to step it down. I go... 20 this is before i fucking do research on the internet do research on the internet dumbasses <laughs> like why would i i just made the assumption yeah what does this fuming do mm. anyway so i had stepped it down from 20 to 15 yeah. and i alternated days 2015 2015 2015 then i stepped it down to 15 for two weeks uh-huh. then i went 10 15 10 15 for two weeks uh-huh. then i did 10 for two weeks then I did 510, 510 for two weeks. Uh-huh. And I made it there, and then I locked myself out of my apartment, out of the apartment I was house sitting, yeah. and it cost me $275, which I luckily had, but I don't can't afford that. Yeah. And I had a breakdown. I yeah. had an anxiety attack, mm-hmm. like something I had never had before. Yeah. And then I smoked a big joint the next morning, and I felt a lot better. Uh-huh. But... It still was like enough that I was like, I'm stepping myself back up to 10 milligrams. Yeah. And then I was still found myself angry and irritable and I was having a really hard time at my job Mm -hmm. and I was really wanted to quit because I hated my boss Mm -hmm. and uh, I don't think he understood. I think he, I mean, he was a fucking dickwad. Let's talk about on Robert Hare's. Sociop- uh, sociopathy slash psychopathy checklist. Mm-hmm. Um, item number two: grandiose self, grandiose self, self sense of self worth. Yes, he had that in spades. Um, Rhymes with schmarcissism. Schmarcissism. Yeah, yes. exactly. So you know, I'm whatever. Yeah. Um, he ended up firing me. Uh huh. 
And it's basically just like who pulled the trigger first. Like I was ready to quit. <laughs> I was ready to quit, but I wasn't because I didn't have a follow-up job. Mm-hmm. But he fired me. And he fired me the day after Prince died. Oh. But so honestly, that made it uh, that I was I didn't give it yeah I didn't give a fuck I was like I don't care Prince is dead yeah uh, and none of this matters yeah none of this matters I was just like whatever and luckily I had also just gotten a fat fucking refund from nice. from the government for mm-hmm. my taxes for three years of taxes that I hadn't done but I finally <laughs> I finally took him to an accountant and had him done and I uh-huh. this, she got me this really these really nice refunds mm-hmm. and so I was able to take care of myself for a little while yeah but then I oh man I fucking was so dumb with that money but anyway so I decided in early May this is not working and I put myself back up on 20 milligrams yeah. but it took me a few months. Yeah. I feel like to really get straight again. And I'm still, I'm back on 20 milligrams. And mm-hmm. so now it's like this June, it's going to be five years on this medicine. Yeah. And I don't want to be on this medicine. But then there's the other side of it, which is, of course, people are like, well, if it helps you, yeah. why do you want to get off of it? Well, like I just said, you know, I just, I don't, it's clearly something that I have, you have severe withdrawals from. Yeah. Because that's not the way I felt when I was, I mean, what I would have, I would have episodes where, you know, I would feel so down that I would mm-hmm. want to kill myself. And I feel like I kind of know how I would do it. Mm-hmm. And I, the closest I got was, was, I wasn't suicidal, but I shot a gun. Like, <laughs> I think I would shoot myself. All right. And... And but that was like years ago. Yeah. It, that was like 2011 in Blaine. I mm-hmm. went to a shooting a shooting site, you know. Yeah. But I remember being there, mm-hmm. and and I remember like, I remember touching the gun and shooting the gun and being like, all right, well that's the next step. Uh-huh. Now you are one step closer to knowing how to eliminate yourself. Yeah. You know, yeah. and that's the closest it ever came. I've yeah. never gotten a gun. I've been really, 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 really sad, you know, and and, and I've had ups and downs, like, and especially mm-hmm. this past year, like, I've I had a really hard time because I put myself through that shit with the medication. Yeah. And so. There's this interesting, anyway. like, um, Goldilocks zone of suicide, mm-hmm. um, which is why a lot of the... Um, antidepressants one of the symptoms is killing yourself mm-hmm. because you when you're depressed you don't feel like doing anything yeah. and then if the antidepressants start working you feel better enough where you're like oh i can accomplish these tasks including right. ending my own life yeah it's yeah. also interesting that you chose a gun that's a very masculine way to go out mm-hmm. women tend to go with um pills and bloodletting more than mm-hmm. anything else because there's a chance you can come back to that whereas it's studies show that like when men want to kill themselves they will make sure it gets just yeah. another thing men are better yeah. than women at <laughs> yeah Bam. right right oh my god <laughs> but yeah um but yeah i i, I hear you i've um and it's this it's kind of interesting to try to explain to people of like I've mulled over how I would kill myself, but mm-hmm. I'm not planning to. Yeah, yeah. Because that goes through people's heads a lot who have depression, and mm-hmm. it's people get really worried. Where it's like, no, I'm not going to do anything, but mm-hmm. I know exactly how I would accomplish this task. Yeah, to me, it's like you know what? It's the most dire option. Yeah. And it's not a. It's like it's not really an option. You know, yeah. it's like well, I could. 
but no, I fucking can't. Yeah. I can't do that, you know? Um, and that's, I'm, I feel lucky that I've, that I've mm-hmm. never, obviously that I'm still here. I'm yeah. very grateful I'm still here, but I also feel like, ah, oh, I want to hope that maybe this medicine has changed my neural pathways mm-hmm. in a, in a way that like it, that they won't go back mm-hmm. once I can wean myself off of it properly. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not a neuroscientist, so yeah, I can't tell you, me but. Me neither. Sue, uh huh. You've also alluded to this uh, a couple of times, and that's the whole um, sociopathy thing. Do you mm-hmm. want to talk about that, mm-hmm. like with your pop pops or whatever you decide to call them? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, it, it's something that like I ha- had a little bit of experience with a self-proclaimed sociopath. Okay. Which I do want to uh, clarify for listeners. Uh-huh. Sociopathy and psychopathy are the same thing. Okay. Um, is so sociopath is not light psychopath. It, uh-huh. They're the same thing. But they're, I think people get psychosis and psychotic confused yeah. with psychopath. Psychosis and psychotic is crazy. Mm-hmm. Psychopaths are not crazy. They just don't have a conscience. They yeah. don't have empathy. Um, they are what, you know, you might argue evil. Mm-hmm. But I I don't know some I've read I've read a few books about it now in the past few months and so I've driven myself pretty crazy with like a lot of stuff because so anyway okay I'm going back um, so I dated a self-proclaimed uh, sociopath and of course I was like no no you're not no and I'm like <laughs> what you're so cool you're so this and blah blah blah. And then it's sort of like, it was kind of weird how I became unraveled Mm -hmm. with him. But even like after we had ended our romantic relationship. Yeah. And it was just sort of like, I really felt myself like so, um, like so desperate to want to be around him. Yeah. You know, and and that's not the only time I felt that with people. And I've always and I've actually felt it like a lot. And so I haven't been to therapy about this. I also want to preface okay. uh, uh, that thing as I haven't really dealt with this talking talking to anybody. So these are just things I'm finding out on the way. I get the first crack at it. <laughs> well, <laughs> what are your qualifications? Um Anyway, mm-hmm. I, so anyway, so I was, it just, and, and then I had another boyfriend after that. Yeah. And I decided to read The Narcissist Next Door. Okay. Uh, a book by this woman, Heather Schaefer. Mm-hmm. It's one of her earlier books, but she wrote this book because, and I, or I, I don't know why she wrote it. I decided to read it mm-hmm. because uh, I was moving to Los Angeles and, um, Oh shit, my friend. Oh, okay, I'll you call, can take. I'll call her later. You can take oh, it. I can't. Okay. Yes. Um. Uh, you decided to read the book because. So I decided to read. I decided to read the narcissist next door because I was moving to Los Angeles, and I'm like, I know that I'm gonna have to deal with a lot of narcissists. Yeah. So I kind of want to know what I'm up for, and also I wanted to discover for myself, am I a narcissist? Yeah. Because I am a confident person. I'm also a performer, so like you have to have. You know, like a child's level of narcissism, mm-hmm. I think, to to be able to do like to be able to be a performer, I yeah. think. So, uh, so I was like, I'm gonna check this out, and uh, I'm reading about it. 
Oh, and also my brother was going through a divorce at the time. I'm reading about it and like, uh, and as I'm discovering, of course, about narcissistic personality disorder, then I also discover about borderline personality mm-hmm. disorder, histrionic personality disorder, mm-hmm. and then antisocial personality disorder, yep. also known as sociopathy and psychopathy. Yes. So anyway, so that sort of, so that led me to uh, that stuff. And then I ended up reading um, Psychopath Free. Okay. Which is a book not by a doctor, but by some <laughs> dude, by some dude named Jackson something. Like, it's it's the, I don't, his name makes him sound like a crackpot, but, okay. and not like a real guy or something, but I read the book and it really cracked open my mind. Like, I've been needing a cracking open in my life. I've mm-hmm. been feeling this the past few years. Like there's been something that has been shrouded okay. and something that like is like, I feel like I've been in a, in like some sort of stone and I've needed to crack open and let this light shine out. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this is what this is, is that putting a name to the way that my father is. Yeah. And I have never really thought about doing that before. And it's never occurred to me until I moved back in with my folks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I moved back in with them in October 2015. Then I was house-sitting in West L.A. for six months. So then I came back in July of 2016. And it's currently February of 2017. So I've been there now, now for almost eight months. Yeah. Which is a long time. And, um, and so I'm just rediscovering my parents' habits and the way that they are. And obviously like they're much older now, so they're a little more cranky, a little more, you know, a little more like, um, I don't want to say senile, but they just like old. Can't. They're old. Yeah, they're, they're just they're old. They're yeah. old. They're yeah. they are decomposing and decaying <laughs> like we all are. So, you know, so that's part of it. more noticeable about right? it. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So that's part of it. So it's like. So I don't know. Um, my and I'm discovering more things through uh, my family members right now about like my. It's currently happening right now where mm-hmm. I have now talked to my mother about this, about my father. You know, quite possibly. I, and I don't. I I up until like literally yesterday, I mm-hmm. thought he was a, a full blown psychopath. Mm-hmm. I actually. So I'm, I might be moving. Okay. I am going to be moving for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but how soon, I don't know. But I've moved my cat to my uncle's house. Yeah. Because I just, my dad told me recently while I was housing somebody else's house recently and they were looking after my cat that my cat got into the furnace and my dad forgot to turn off the heater uh-huh. and forgot to close the door to the furnace. Huh. But then he pulled my cat out just in time. Mm-hmm. But look at, I got so scratched up, Courtney. Look mm-hmm. at how your cat scratched me up. Mm-hmm. Okay. Fascinating. Fascinating, right? Yeah. I was so, my dad tells me this and it's like, and my mom, and my mom, like, I, I bring it up to my mom recently and she is like, I don't want to be air. I'm like airing my family's dirty laundry, which is happening right now. But um, uh-huh. but anyway, my mom's like, you know, you you were babysitting, you were cat sitting, and that cat got up on a telephone pole, 
Like I told you that yeah. story earlier, and I'm like, yeah, that's right. It did. Like shitty things happen. I get that. Mm-hmm. I'm like, but it's a mystery how our cat died when I was in college. Like mm-hmm. me and my brother were out. Or my brother wasn't out of the house, but. I don't know. I just, I got it in my head. And I mm-hmm. went, you know, and like I said, I've been reading these books. I've been, you know, in these books so deep that I really like just started creating things, I think, yeah. as well. So a lot of things lined up about my father, but then a lot of things didn't. Yeah. And I actually, the other day, um, so it, there is a psychopath checklist, which mm-hmm. which uh, people have been using for the past couple of decades that was um, devised by a man named Dr. Robert Hare. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so it's a 20-point checklist. And I think what you do is you grade people on each characteristic, zero, one, or two. Yeah. Obviously, zero being not, and two being the most, uh, most of that trait. And so my brother and I took it together, and we kind of like sort of tried to take it for my dad. Yeah. And my brother and I both got on a scale, because you can get as many as 40, and 30 to 40 is like psychopath range. And so my brother and I both got six, and Uh then we scored our father at 18. Uh Uh-huh. So not a psychopath, but maybe. I mean, according to our rudimentary, you know, whatever. But he's got a little bit of something going on. But he's got something going on in there. So yeah, yeah, the thing that would make <laughs> made the the cat situation weird in my mm-hmm. mind was the look how this affected me negatively, uh-huh. yep. which is very manipulative and very pity party. Yeah, very narcissistic, very like yeah, not yeah, thinking I need about you to pay mm-hmm. attention to me in the situation, mm-hmm. which is also like that's. Um, also very sounds very like a uh, borderline personality disorder as well, mm-hmm. which is kind of on a similar scale, but not exactly. Yeah. And, which, uh, because from my understanding in regards to um, uh, psychopathy or um, soci- whatever you want to call mm-hmm. it, versus like something like borderline is um, psychopathy is like a pre-existing condition mm-hmm. where you just you don't have empathy and oops, your brain didn't make that part of your yeah. gland or whatever. Yeah. Whereas borderline is completely. Um, environment based really yeah yeah you're like um that's why people with like manic depressive disorder Mm -hmm. uh, depression often get it is if they aren't emotionally validated as a child Mm -hmm. it develops into this weird thing where you your your brain basically wants to off itself all the time and you don't know what's um you don't know how to adjust to people um you Dealing with your um, emotions because you've been told that you are wrong. Mm-hmm. By your nature, you are incorrect. You mm-hmm. don't belong in the world. And so every action is based off of that. And oh, that's incredibly okay. difficult to deal with. Yeah. And it's really difficult to overcome. Mm-hmm. But I know some people, people that are working on it. Yeah, they do. So that's really interesting yeah. because I have not yet fully looked into borderline personality yeah. disorder. I believe that is what my brother's now ex-wife has yes i mean again not a psychiatrist but mm-hmm. i'm gonna look into that too because if that is something if, if that it that is possible that maybe mm-hmm. that's what my father had my father does um he has like brought up his parents before and how yeah. it's been difficult living with them or whatnot and um my mom told me a story about how my father came home late from his curfew he was late 
or something, and uh, my grandfather opened the door and just punched him in the face. Wow. Yeah. Well, that yeah, that'll mess you up. Right? Yeah. Right, yeah. <laughs> so, and then, of course, my mom tells me this, and I'm like, yeah, well, that's what dad said. <laughs> I'm like, that's what I think, <clears throat> because of where my mind's at. But, yeah. But like I said, I literally just, yesterday morning, I finished the book, The Psychopath Test, which yeah. is the fourth book I've been I've read, mm-hmm. which is not necessarily like an investigation into psychopathy. It's just mostly about the mad, madness industry. But then it posits like, Perhaps, and John Ronson himself was like, I know so much about psychopathy now, I feel like I'm a, I'm a psycho spotter, yeah. and I'm driving myself crazy trying to pick people out, you yeah. know? Like, I asked you, did I ask you on the podcast? No, no, but you yeah, did. Yeah, but and right I away. Like, no, I have the opposite problem. I have too much empathy. Yeah, right away. Yeah. I was like, are you too theatrical? You're saying that. Because <laughs> you know, I'm just like, now I'm, I just don't trust people. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, that happens a lot as well whenever um, you get... You do any kind of research into it's it's very common the, the phenomenon mm-hmm. you're talking about like um when people get diagnosed they also mm-hmm. look for other people who have similar traits mm-hmm. um for any kind of mental illness and that yeah. sort of thing. Um, there's a really good book about borderline personality disorder called um, uh, I love I hate you don't leave me. I hate you don't leave me. Yes, okay. and that's the basic idea mm-hmm. of BPD is mm-hmm. like. That. Abandonment, abandonment issues. Very much so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, like a great, um, a great example of that would be in in pop culture would be Barney Stinson from How I Met Your Mother. Because uh. yeah, because he's like constantly trying to validate himself emotionally because he, his father wasn't there. Blah 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 mm-hmm. blah blah. It's like pretty standard operating procedure. Um, I haven't watched that show, but that I'm sure okay. that people. <laughs> Out there, will know. <laughs> Who's the actor that plays Neil Bob? Patrick Harris? Oh, so the lead guy. Okay, yeah. got it. Um, and uh, in regards to what I had another thought. Right. Um, in regards to the story about your father getting punched in the face, regardless mm-hmm. of whether or not it is true, it is true for him. In his mm-hmm. mind, he's made that up, so mm-hmm. he's going to react to people that way, which is also a big symptom of borderline personality disorder. Is like mm-hmm. perceiving things askew and then believing them full heartedly because yeah. that's how it feels and mm-hmm. and it, that is one of the main reasons it's very frustrating to deal with people who have it because they tell one story one way and you're like no I didn't say that or no I didn't mean it that way uh-huh. and, and then you have this conflict constantly huh Muy interessante yes another thing I've been saving up my thoughts mm-hmm. as you've been talking how did you score on the narcissist test like, because you, you said you tried to figure out whether or not you were. I want to know. Oh, I didn't, I didn't no? take a narcissist test. Oh, okay. No, I don't think so. Or if I did, I think I'm like a 17 or something, which yeah. is like on a higher... I don't remember if I actually have, though. Yeah, that's fair. But I would. Yeah. You know. I agree with, as well, like you have to have a certain level of self-love in to be a performer and to be mm-hmm. you have to have the confidence to go I'm interesting enough yeah as, well especially also like to do I mean uh, what I do I tell stories about myself yeah I tell and my and I write these songs that oh my gosh look at this cat oh Henry so cute anyway um <laughs> yeah it's like when you write your own stuff and you put yep. it out there into the world you're sensitive about how people are going to perceive it yeah absolutely. so you have to sort of have a a thing where you have to be like, you know what? But also, 
that doesn't even have to be narcissism. Mm-hmm. You can just be realistic that yeah. not everything is for everybody. Yeah, also. I feel like that's just realism, you know? Yeah, I've always... You can just be like, just because somebody else doesn't like it doesn't mean I suck. And mm-hmm. if I do suck, well, then I just keep getting better. Yep, so, absolutely. Although, you know, part of me is like, I've always, I've always been... I'm not like a nose to the grindstone worker. Uh-huh. I am very lax. And I do, and also because I suffer from depression um, and even on the Paxil now sometimes mm-hmm. it's like and especially because I'm in the environment back living with my father again yeah. it's I feel really weighed down it's and, and I, I can be gone in LA for like the day and mm-hmm. I already like just I don't want to go home because I mm-hmm. feel uplifted again mm-hmm. and but now it's like living in that environment and just having that energy around me it's sort of like it's a soul suck so yeah. You know, I haven't been able to be doing the things that I really want to be doing. When I was house-sitting in January for those two weeks when mm-hmm. my cat got stuck in the furnace, yeah. I had, I busted out like three demos while yeah. I was there. Like, I felt really good about it, and but whatever. It's almost like creating anything artistic is like a very temperamental endeavor, and you have right? to have a right yeah. and inducive environment. Mm-hmm. Just I mean, like... you've got to sit down and do it also yeah. every day or do... Something every day as well, mm-hmm. but that also is difficult. Yeah, it is. It's difficult. It's, it's almost a, like it's like every other job. Yeah, yeah, You just exactly. have to do the thing. And, like, and, no, and you're the one that has to hold yourself accountable. Exactly. It's really difficult doing, like, one-person things because mm-hmm. you have to go, oh, I have to hold myself to a rehearsal. Tell me about it. You know? <laughs> you know? It's yeah. like... That's been my, that's been mostly my, like, performance career for the past yeah. 10 years has been mostly solo stuff. Yeah. I think, no, maybe not. No, that's total bullshit. Anyway, <laughs> who cares? But it feels that way because it feels it's so like important my, what I do I know, by myself. Like who were those other people? <laughs> yeah. Um, and this is kind of a nice transition, um, but pointing it out makes it clumsy. Mm-hmm. Um, you're a woman doing comedy. I would have been. Yeah, I know. Who knew women are funny? What? No. Well, I know, right? Yeah. Yeah. Of course. I would. I think women are funnier than men. I mean, and I know I'm not the only person that feels that way. So. Yeah. But anyway. Yeah, I agree. Actually, a lot of the times because they're more willing to like. Because I feel like guys comedians like find one thing they're very good at and just like mm-hmm. that's what they do whereas women are like more willing to explore in general yeah well you know what actually i'm gonna say i think that i, I really think that nowadays marginalized marginalized people are more funny yes they can take they can take the really painful shit because they're the ones that are going through it yeah and they are the ones that can make it funny and they can make us all laugh at it and then like I feel like that has the most healing power but oh yeah for sure anyway so what's the real question I would just like um oh. the real question is how shitty how shitty is it being a woman in comedy because I've heard are you honestly asking me this right now yeah, Tristan man. I want to know Tristan stop asking this question okay this question needs to stop being asked because first off it's not that shitty to be okay. a woman in comedy also this it's been answered so many different ways yeah. in so many different other places I think and now honestly mm-hmm. and it's just people in comedy awesome yeah it it really is I mean it's like I think what okay you know what I'm gonna take it back because obviously 
there's shitty things about being a woman comedy because there's been all these groups that have been coming yeah. up about harassment and whatnot. Yeah, you're like, so what the fuck, Courtney? Back off. No, no, I'm no. I'm like, this I, question is a stopping ass. No, it's no, not No, I true. see your point, though, and I do agree yeah. with it. Yeah. Um, it, it, so I think just what it is is like you're dealing with, first off, you're dealing with a lot of white men. There's a lot of white men in comedy. Yes. And inherently just in our culture we're you know it's coming up a lot more white men have the most privilege yeah what does that mean that means that they can do a lot of things and they get away with a lot of things because of they are men and because they are white and Mm -hmm. it's like it just is how it has been for a very long time now we are starting to recognize it Mm-hmm. and breaking it down you know like for instance <clears throat> i'm part of a job app i i do there's tons of these job apps now out now and i do jobs through one of these job apps and i have a five-star rating yes on my job app now i believe i am a good employee i'm a great employee mm-hmm. but i also believe that there are people around me who are also probably five-star employees but don't get five stars because they don't look like me. Yes. And I am a pretty white woman. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, you know, I get that. That is also privilege. Yes. Of course. Absolutely. Um, so what is my point? In comedy, there's a lot of white men who don't, who aren't maybe necessarily or are figuring out their privilege. Because mm-hmm. you are getting, I mean, generally in comedy, you're getting people who are in their early 20s late teens, early 20s, mid 20s. There are rarely people like me, my age, starting out. Mm-hmm. So it's like not only are you a woman at that age and you're young and you you know maybe don't totally fully understand what like a respectful conversation is, which was definitely my issue when I was, I mean, because of the man I grew up with. Yeah. You know, and it's like he would... Uh, have, you know, it's like walking on eggshells with him a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. So, I, I, I personally, and obviously this is my personal story, but I personally came, you know, was in comedy or in any situations like, sort of, subconsciously not, because subconsciously being careful with what I say mm-hmm. and like giving men the upper hand, like yeah. just not even realizing that. So, or if I wanted to, if I wanted to take the upper hand and I tried to, um, you know, uh, and and if I got called a bitch or, or anything like that, like Mm -hmm. then it was like automatically felt guilty, automatically felt like I had, you know, tail between the legs sort of feeling. And also this is before I started taking medication as Mm -hmm. well. So it's like anxiety and depression plays into that as well. All this stuff plays into that. Um, so I think what happens a, a, a lot. Also, you get con- with comedians. You get, you have a lot of people who have mental illness problems. Yes, and who don't understand board uh, boundaries. Yeah, you know. So sometimes it's difficult when you get this combination of of mental illness, lack of boundaries. Um, you know, you're dealing with with probably quite a few guys with personality disorders as yeah. well, and then you also put white male privilege on top of that. Mm-hmm. And then you, and so then, uh, juxtaposed with that, you have women, and I can only speak from a white woman's standpoint, 
you know, it's like mm-hmm. guys just think they can come talk to you and say whatever they want to you. So that is the point. What I'm getting to is that you just, this sort of cultural framework that we have in a, what was primarily for many, many, many years, a boys club mm-hmm. and is not as much at all anymore. Yes, and it wonderful. has been like such a snowball the past yeah. 10 years. Wow. I mean, because I got into stand-up comedy in 2003. Yeah. And, and... Like, I haven't continued that whole time, but I've been, uh, you know, and that was in New York, and I was there for, you know, three and a half years, pretty closely on it. Yeah. And then I drifted away and went into the French festival scene, but then I came back to the comedy scene in Minneapolis and was closer to it there. Um, But I definitely played into that as well, into the sort of, like, you know, again, not knowing when I was being talked to with respect or like mm-hmm. not ne- no, necessarily knowing when things were jokey as well because it's like yeah. I get my sense of humor back to the sense of humor like yeah. my father used to be a very funny and very charming individual he also became a born again Christian when I was 13 huh. so that's another sh- layer of shit <laughs> on the fuck shit stack that is that is my upbringing with my the mental illness of my family okay but yeah. um <laughs> Right? Yeah. Because, so. you know, Christianity and mental illness are two great tastes to go great together. Oh it's wonderful. Oh, my God. Yeah. yeah. It's, yeah. That's insane. When you're already told everything you're doing is bad and then you mm-hmm. have that, oh, it's just, it perpetrates it's, a really, a lot of anger and resentment and mm-hmm. guilt and it's really, really shitty and bad. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. My, yep. yeah. My, most recently, my father and I, actually just about a week ago, um, had... I don't, I'm not going to call it a fight because I wasn't fighting. Uh-huh. It's not a conversation because he was yelling at me. <laughs> and uh, and it's also it's not a conversation because I didn't really get to get much of a word in edgewise. Mm-hmm. But in order for me to like... Anyway, but... And it always happens when we talk about political shit or religious shit. Yeah. And, um, and it basically got to the point where I was like, Dad, are you trying to fight a holy war? And that's <laughs> when he just like exploded. He was like... Oh, fucking Christ. Don't ask me those questions. And then I was like, Dad, are you a psychopath? He was like, fuck you. What are you moving out? <laughs> uh, so, anyway. That was a week ago. That was like a week wow. ago. Yeah, so I haven't really talked to him much since then. My mother has talked to him. Uh-huh. And I don't want her. The thing is, like, my mom is such an empath. Yeah. And so she, like, you know, she and I have been talking, and she's been... I'm not telling her about this podcast, by the way. That is quite (laughs) all right. (laughs) Anyway, but she and I have been talking, and she's been so upset because because now she's learning, and I'm learning, that, like, our members of our family are not inviting us over anymore. Inviting. Because of my dad's behavioral problems. Because he will fly off the handle mm-hmm. when if a shit if something will trigger him yeah. like politics or religion he will fly off the fucking handle unreasonably and that's what it was with me the other night it was mm-hmm. just like yeah. like would not let me get a word in edgewise and I was trying to have an adult conversation with yes him. I'm almost forty years old it's like yes. I'm here to talk to my adult father yeah your adult daughter wants to talk to you about you know what's happening in the world mm-hmm. anyway um yeah i think um a weirdly important thing in situations like that is it generally has very little to do with you personally 
mm-hmm. when people like even if they're being reasonable when they get angry or whatever, mm-hmm. which is a whole other thing. But it has very little to do with what you've said, and it has everything to do with how they're trying to handle how they actually feel. Uh-huh. Because anger is like a secondary emotion. It's when anger happens when you can't cope with the actual thing you're feeling. Oh, yeah. So, like, if you get, like... When people get angry when they get scared, it's because they were actually terrified, mm-hmm. and then it's a defense mechanism. Oh, okay. So, like, a lot of it is, like, you know, um, when someone yells, it has nothing to do with you, it has everything to do with how they're feeling, and mm-hmm. they just need to need to learn how to cope better, basically. I'm not, like, yeah. excusing behavior, but it's a good thing to remember. That way you mm-hmm. don't feel bad, like, oh, my father was angry at me because mm-hmm. I did something wrong. No, your father didn't know how to process mm-hmm. your difference of opinions, and that's not great. Well, and here's where, like, the book Psychopath Free came in. Yes. Uh, I, that book really allowed me to let go of so much shit that I was blaming myself for throughout my entire life and around men. And yeah. I really was like, wait a minute. Like, the reason why, and not only that guy in 2013, but the guy that I moved to Minnesota for, mm-hmm. I think was probably NPD. Mm-hmm. But narcissistic but or maybe he was a psychopath like I don't know like there's like just weird shit that through my research I've been putting pieces of the puzzles together yeah and there's another guy who I just recently went no contact with because I was like oh wait a minute like he's been married for a while surprised me with the fact he was married surprised me with the fact with his new kid like it was Mm -hmm. weird like literally in front of me shows me his ring so I believe so he could see my reaction yeah. and, and watch me like, you know, but I luckily got my degree in theater. Uh-huh. So <laughs> I knew like, you know, I, there may have been like a moment of mm-hmm. initial like, what the fuck in my mind, in my eyes or whatnot. But I think I was able to cover that really quickly. Anyway, he did that to me. And then he also did the same thing, surprised me with his first child, huh. who was a baby we met for lunch and he hadn't told me about Obviously, we would talk because we had made the plans for lunch. Yeah. And then he didn't tell me about his kid. And then it was like he had his kid with him. He was like, hey, there's my kid. And this was a guy that, like, I had a romantic relationship with. But, like, I, you know, I felt like he was, like, my Mr. Big. Uh-huh. And I, and the more I re- did this research and thought about it, I was like, I kind of feel like I may have been a target of his. And then yeah. I moved to New York. That's why we broke up because I moved to New York. And then he ended up finding a, another woman and married her, um, you know, and, and I had, it's just this long, complicated story. But anyway, um, I met her once when they were dating before they got married, and it was not a good thing for me. I got, like, couldn't eat my food. I felt mm-hmm. sick. It was just, like, one of those situations where I was just lovesick, and I, mm-hmm. and I knew he and I couldn't be together, but, like, I just was like, oh, I can't handle it. So yeah. I had to leave, and I've never met her since. And he and I have remained friends. And that was like 2004. So that was yeah. 13 years ago. And I've never met her since. And now they have fam- They have two kids together now. Wow. And so recently, I just, you know, doing this research, I was like, I bet he's triangulating us. I bet he, I bet he uses me in some instance to like, to fuck around with her. Yeah. And because I feel like he doesn't really talk about her with me. But he says things to me that are inappropriate for a married man to say to a woman. Uh-huh. And, 
And it's like, you know, I've always been, I've always hung out because I'm, I'm not trying to be a homewrecker, but I've hung out with him and gone and had lunch with him because I want to keep him in my life. He has connections as well, mm-hmm. but also because like he, you know, he's, he has known me for a long time, but it just started occurring to me that like, and also I was kind of like, people get divorced, you know? So it's yeah. like, maybe, maybe he and I can get back together someday. Yeah. You know, I'm not trying to make it happen, but maybe it can you happen. keep your it, options open. One point, you know, 1.2 out of two <laughs> marriages, you know, gets destroyed. So it's like, who knows, who knows? But then it occurred to me that he's probably triangulating us yeah. and that, because it's like, what well, I can't come hang out with, like, I, I'm the perfect person to come babysit your kids. Yeah. You know, like I am a, I am a good woman person. I am a good, I am a woman's woman. Mm-hmm. I think I am, you know? Yeah. I like women and I, you know, I like my male friends' wives, you mm-hmm. know? So to me, it just sort of be, I was like, why are we friends? There's yeah. no reason why we're friends anymore. So I just, uh, I didn't tell I didn't tell him at all. I just blocked his number and I blocked him on Facebook and mm-hmm. Um, he might follow me on Twitter. I have no idea, but I'm just sort of like, no, I'm done. I'm done yeah. with that. And thankfully, and this is one of the things with psychopathy, I'm like, or or any of these personality disorders, because I've gone through this, these stages of like, of why, why are there psychopaths in the world? You know, mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, I do believe it is a mutation yeah. of, of the brain of like a too small amygdala. So you don't have that conscience or that empathy or whatnot Mm -hmm. um and then i'm like why you know i'm like well they're they must be like fucking house flies like they're annoying and they sit on shit and you know whatever they're horrible disgusting disease-ridden people (laughs) listen to me i'm i'm such a bigot against psychopaths but um but then i'm like but there's still a purpose yeah you know and it's like wait a minute i now am a really aware and a really strong person yeah as a result of this. So it's mm-hmm. like, is is it just sort of like a helping, uh, you know, empaths grow? Who knows? Um, anyway. Yeah. I think also you, there's, there's places for people who have um, less empathy than most. Mm-hmm. And they, a lot of them, that's what they screen for when they could do the military because mm-hmm. you have to literally kill people. So yeah. I know, like, I remember I, every young man considers going into the army, and I was like, I couldn't do it because mm-hmm. that's a human being. I can't even, like, go hunting. Mm-hmm. No. Yeah. And that sort of thing. Um, and I think everyone has their place. And I also think if you... The difference between a good person and a bad person isn't necessarily empathy, though as a society we kind of agree that it is. Mm-hmm. That's why children are so shit- shitty, because like, they, de- they don't understand that there are other people. Uh-huh. Yeah. But on the other hand, I feel like the difference is recognizing a fault and trying to fix it. Because mm-hmm. I know people who are on like uh, the sociopathic scale mm-hmm. that know they are and mm-hmm. try to work against it to go yeah. okay i am with you here mm-hmm. i'm not gonna try and be manipulative yeah. i can see my own faults just like anyone else does mm-hmm. and i think you're right it's complicated and it's n- not great and specifically i would say your experience with them has been bad <laughs> <laughs> so like you are allowed yeah. to think they're shitty yeah i've <laughs> 
Yeah, I feel like I have. Um, and, I, and honestly, my dad's not the only one I'm dealing with right now. And yep. it's like, and literally dealing with one. Yeah. And um, <laughs> and it's like, yeah, I don't know. I really have the view that they that they are that they have nothing better to do than fuck with people. Yeah. And and but also that's the thing is like I've I've learned that I am because I am an empath, but also because I am an artist mm-hmm. who lives out loud, who's like, you know, I, I, I and I fucking want people that other people to feel joy. Yeah. And it's very important to me that mm-hmm. other people feel joy and that other people can live their lives the way they want. I want people to be free. Yeah. And psychopaths don't, and so they hate me. Yes. <laughs> so they like, I feel like once they get the gist of that, yeah. they're like, target. Yeah. They're like, I'm going to break Courtney McLean down. Yeah. <coughs> anyway. Yeah, I've also um, found that a very similar reaction with yeah. people who are on that scale, because they're like, you are, you feel too much, and you don't, you, and it's like two opposing forces, mm-hmm. you know. And it really is. Yeah. Good and evil. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we're good. It's yeah, been about right? an hour. It's oh been a God. fascinating conversation. Thank you. And thank Has it been a conversation? Yeah. And I've been talking the whole time. Well, it's almost like I asked you to come on a thing mm-hmm. to talk about yourself. Mm. So, like, you're good. Weird. I mean, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, thank you for doing this. Thanks for having me on, Tristan. This yep. has been awesome. Um, you, you got, like, stuff coming up you want to plug? Um, not necessarily, but people can always go to CourtneyMcLean.com, uh, or my Twitter and Instagram handles are uh, Dirty Curls. Very nice. And you can find out all the shit there. Do it up. Yeah. Great. Bye-sies. I'm Bridget Cosgrove. I'm Tristan Miller. Tell me, Tristan, how do you feel about history? I mean, I like it, except it's the most boring thing I've ever experienced in my whole entire life, and I want it to stop. Hmm. If only there was a way that we could make you feel better about that. Yeah, like if it was, like, funny and engaging and interesting with two people I really like. Yeah, you know, I think I might have solved your problem. Oh, yeah? Yeah, it's our own podcast, Blank History Month. Oh, that sounds really good. Yeah, it's great. When does it come out? Uh, every Wednesday. Oh, I'll do that then. Yeah, it'll be great. Okay. Thanks. Yeah, bye. bye. <laughs> <laughs>
better movies than the ones being made, like cooler, more like sexier, yeah, yeah. And, like more radical movies. Yeah, that sounds like an ideal situation. How could I do that? I think I have a solution to your problem. What's it? Let me pitch this at you. Wink. Elevator pitch. Oh, what's that? It is a podcast where two best friends. Oh, who are they? Are they us? It's me and you. We're best friends. We pitch fake movies at each other and see who comes up with a better movie that week. And the loser has to spend uh, spend uh, the time until the next show uh, in an elevator. Oh, God. Yeah. Elevator pitch comes out every other Friday. Going up! Going up! <laughs>